Calling all conscious achievers who are seeking more community and connection, I've got an invitation for you. Join me at this year's Summit of Greatness this September 7th through 9th in my hometown of Columbus, Ohio to unleash your true greatness. This is the one time a year that I gather the greatness community together in person for a powerful transformative weekend. People come from all over the world and you can expect to hear from inspiring speakers like Inky Johnson, Jaspreet Singh, Vanessa Van Edwards, Jen Sincero, and many more. You'll also be able to dance your heart out to live music, get your body moving with group workouts, and connect with others at our evening socials. So if you're ready to learn, heal, and grow alongside other incredible individuals in the greatness community, then you can learn more at lewishouse.com slash summit 2023. Make sure to grab your ticket, invite your friends, and I'll see you there. Everything that we do that is impacting us negatively is coming from something we've experienced. Everything. So it's essential that we live lifestyles of mind management so that we can observe ourselves. So if, if I, for example, I've trained myself to do this, if I start noticing a certain pattern in my behaviors and I notice that there's maybe some jealousy emerging or some envy, I'm very quick to observe it. No, and I'm not saying I'm a saint at all far from it. I'm just saying I've trained myself and I'm proud that I've trained myself and I'm saying it because you can do this. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. I'm excited about having you here because I feel like people are struggling in relationships right now. Yeah. There's a lot of confusion and I feel like a lot of it has to do with the way we think and how our minds and our brains are wired around love. So I'm curious, can you start us off by talking about why and how we are wired for love as human beings and why it is so challenging for so many people to find and attract healthy love? Yes, it's such an excellent question and such an important question and one that I've actually written about quite often. And there's actually a, a Nobel-winning scientist who talks about the fact that we're wired for love. And so it's a, it's a good term. It's a really great way of explaining things. So in a nutshell, I'm a psychoneurobiologist, as you know. So I look at mind-brain-body connection. So what, we, what myself and other scientists have found is that your brain and body are basically wired for love and your mind because so, they're three separate things. So that means that every single cell, every single organ, every single system is wired for love, which means survival, which means that we are geared towards loving each other, connecting with each other, supporting each other, helping each other. You know, we are really made to make love and not war. You know, and that's really what to how we function. But we, free will and choices and life happens and that can mess with that. And an interesting kind of way of understanding this also is if something bad happens, um, like politics or whatever, we're drawn to that, not because we have bad wiring in us or that we have a natural sort of evil wiring, which is what often people talk about, that we have this sort of mm. um, like dark side. It's we, we are drawn to it because of being wired for love. So if something is, is, is toxic in whatever form, we're drawn to that to fix it. Really? It fascinates us because, and it grabs us because it's throwing love off balance. So if... Okay, so wait, let me break this down. So if, if we see 
someone that maybe has toxic tendencies or behaviors or thoughts or energy. Mm -hmm. Maybe not all the time, but we see like yeah. something a part of them is broken, right? Does that mean we're broken also and we're trying to fix them and us? Or we are not broken, but we're trying to fix someone else? We're drawn, not so much trying to fix each other. We're drawn to try and support return to balance. Mm. And so it could be that we are very drawn because it, it reflects our own brokenness and we can recognize the similarities. It could be for a multitude of reasons. There's going to be so many reasons why someone's broken. It could just be that you just love that person so much and you see them broken and it just touches you. So many reasons. Right. But we don't to try and restore the balance. Interesting. And, you know, what's interesting is like if you take a political kind of situation where people are drawn or conspiracy theories or the things that are happening in our country at the moment where there's so much divide and so much hate as opposed to love and while people are so fascinated with like negative news and that kind of thing, very often it's pitched as because you've got this dark side as I mentioned but we're not people are caught up in that because it's so unfair it's so like this is so not normal now they don't know that sort of consciously people aren't talking about it like that but that is part of our wiring so essentially when people get sucked in and then they get down the rabbit hole of the negative toxicity and really get caught up what happens is that your brain will merge with your environment mm. so but and your brain is driven by your mind so where your mind drives your brain your brain and you, where you keep the focus, that's what your brain will merge with. So where people stay in and become more and more and more and more toxic is because their mind, they haven't managed their mind, so their mind is now kind of just messy minds just kind of got into this pathway and then they've wired that functioning, that way of thinking into the brain and it's counter to our natural functioning. So Lewis, literally that wires in a toxic thought into the brain. And I'm, I know your audience has seen these trees when I did spoke Let's at your it conference though, or whatever. So that is in your brain and that toxic event or whatever that you're getting sucked into. Can you explain it? What, what's in the brain? Absolutely. So this does whatever we tell it to do. The brain can't do anything on its own. When you're dead, your brain just disintegrates. So the thing that's making the brain work is your mind. So your mind is your sentience, your aliveness, your ability to have this conversation, to appreciate a rainbow, to love Martha, to do all the different things that we do as a human. That's what our mind is. And it's actually a, a, a biofield that's in and around us. It makes us work. It makes your heart pump. It makes you see the meaning of a sunset, the meaning behind a painting. It's all of those things. So to the basic biology of making your brain work, the energy waves and the chemicals and your heart pump, to us experiencing our humanity. To experiencing, feeling, and love perceiving the these things. The mind allows us to perceive yes, our environment. Exactly. And, and experience it. The experience of a conversation and enjoying each other, the all of that. No mind, you and I couldn't do this. We'd be dead and we'd have a right. disintegrating brain. So the brain's not doing any of that. So all of because um, the the nature of the brain, every every part of the brain, right, and the body, right down to the level of if you go with the structures down to the cells, down to inside the cells, everything's geared for survival. Everything's geared for wired for love. So survival and wired for love are basically in the same pathway. So if you hate each other, it doesn't lead to survival. Hatred leads to death. And dissension leads to death in, in stages and breakdown and disease and all that kind of stuff. So if, and in terms of ourselves, if people are get, get caught up in hate, hating each other, or envy, jealousy, dissension, that each of those experiences is becoming a physical thing in the brain. So let's say that you are watching something on TV that's working you up and it's very negative and you get into conversations, you start fighting with family members and, you know, like the vaccine of the COVID, for example, I broke up family members. That 
experience is your mind is make, is listening to all the stuff processing you with your mind and it lands up becoming a physical structural change in your brain really so that energy goes into your brain your brain responds electromagnetically electrochemically and genetically and it's happening very fast it's like waves of energy that you're putting in your brain and they like a wave builds collapse build collapse every time you collapse you make proteins and those proteins hold that information as a vibration and those proteins build together to grow these things and, and what are these things? Thoughts. So, every, so this is the mind? This is thought? This is, this is what the mind looks like in the brain. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Does that make sense? So, this is, so every experience that we have with our mind, which is life, is built into these thought trees into the brain. Mm. And they, are, they have this, this structure where there's a source, a root system, and then there's a processing, um, how we uniquely process that experience. And then there's our interpretation of that experience as a unique human being. How we create meaning around it, our interpretation exactly. of meaning. Yes. That's what this is, exactly. So those are in the brain, good and the bad. Hopefully more of these. Now we wired for these. This brings health to the brain. This is the bad thoughts? That's the toxic thought. And, and they're very much alive and that's the healthy thought. And that's the hard thought, okay. And that's very much what they look like. They look like these branch things and the roots, the source. And so essentially we, this is what we wired for. This is wired for love and applies into our we relationships. We want a beautiful garden. That's what we want. We want a forest, a garden, rainforest, all those things. Exactly. And at the core of who we are, this wide full of nature that we see as these healthy trees in the brain, healthy functioning of all the cells and the organs and so on of the body, and also in the actual cells of the body, right down into the depths of the cells, health and love and survival kind of all go together. Okay. So as soon as something happens, like a toxic relationship or a toxic focus of whatever, whatever it may be, um, is we build these instead of these. We build negative thoughts, toxic yes. thoughts Top, over yes. healthy thoughts. Exactly. And the thought, you can see there's lots of branches and roots. So that thought is made of a lot of memories. Memories are the data. So this is the whole conversation or the, the, you know, the details is the data. So that's, and, so, and the similar data clusters together to form thoughts. So if you think of it, the data are the memories. So memories are the details of the thoughts. So mm. thoughts are made of root memories and interpretation memories. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, so these then, this is what the brain is designed for. So if these go into the brain, the immune system of the brain says, hey, that's pathogen. That's like a pathogen. That's like the COVID virus. That's or toxic. That's, it's yeah. toxic. So it sends out immune factors in exactly the same way as if it was a COVID virus in your body or whatever, in any kind of virus or um, a bacteria or something that's threatening your survival, your immune system kicks in. We all understand that and sends out immune factors. It creates inflammation around that area. In the brain. In the brain and the body, depending on where it's. So if, first, if it's toxic thought, first in the brain. So let, let me, good question. Let's reverse this. Here's the toxic experience, lands up in the brain as this. In the mind, it's a field, but it's not a nice sine wave. It's a crazy, chaotic energy wave. And in the body, it's a change inside the actual structure of the cell in an area called a microtubule. And the microtubules inside the cell, and those microtubules are made of proteins, and those proteins hold the vibrations of information. They hold the memory. They hold the memory. Right. So you build the main memory in your brain, and that works very closely with your mind. And then as it builds in your brain, your brain sends instruction, and it builds in all other 37, 200 trillion cells, or however many we have, in your body. So it's a slightly different type of memory, but it builds into, um, the data is built into every cell of our body. That's why we have body memory. Okay, that's why we can, you know, we can feel the pain, and not in not just in our mind, but in our body. We, and when we say, I feel the pain in my mind, you are. Those waves will give you a headache. Those 
the actual physical damage in your brain that this is causing. You, mm. you feel it. So what I'm hearing you say is the mind is an energy field. Yes, we call it a biofield. A biofield. Mm -hmm. And it's how far does it expand from the body? Not sure, but... Like an arm's length maybe think, or a few feet? I think in at this stage in science we're not sure, but it's probably kind of our arm's length. Yes. And so it's a bio, a biofield, an energy field. Yes. The mind is there. Yes, and, the it's, mind, and it's embodied. It goes around and through. Around and through you. Yes. And... When, you, when we experience something, we see an event, someone says something to us, we interpret it. It could be a bad thing, but we could interpret it good and it could have a positive effect, or yes. it could be a bad thing and we really hold on to this negative thought, we right? We build one of the two. We build one of these kind of negative thought yeah. trees. Yes. When that happens, then it's not going to have a frequency in this biofield that is calm and peaceful. Yeah. This harmonious frequency, yes. it's going to be a chaotic frequency. It's going to be chaotic. And when we have a chaotic frequency in the mind or biofield, it will also penetrate the physical field. Exactly. And it'll cause stress, it cause overwhelm, it'll cause fear, scarcity, exactly. lack, uh, defensiveness, all these different things. All these different things. Got it. That's brilliant. You, you did that brilliantly. And you can, <laughs> no, that was brilliant. Right. Thank you. You made it simpler than what I did. And it was really good. So that also, um, what we, what these research that, I mean, there's mind blowing research out there, but there's research uh, that, that's being done that shows that um, these, these thought trees, Inside, if you go inside, these are the dendrites, this is a neuron. If you go inside, that's where you find these, what we call these microtubules that are made of these proteins that actually store the, the, the little the memories, the, data. the vibration, the, the data. data. Yeah. So it's basically inside, not the outside of the neuron. You go inside, you find these special proteins that roll up, they're like beads, and they roll up into these like sheets. And the, inside there, you've got this vibration, which is like an aromatic ring. And that's what is the, what's the memory. And it can constantly change. They build and rebuild. Now, they do this building and rebuilding in the brain. In the body, they're more like a railway track. So they're kind of fixed, and then they mm -hmm. go through a different process of change. Now, I know I'm going into detail, but they found resonance that is similar to music, that these vibrations in the microtubules produce resonance, like a, a harmonious resonance or non-harmonious resonance. So this would be a harmonious resonance unique to the individual, and this would be a non-harmonious resonance. And what they've even found, and this is research that's like still pretty new, is that it kind of lines up with the universe in terms of planetary movement of stars. Wow. And I mean, they are drawing lines The frequencies, through. yeah. There's, and Sir Roger Penrose, for example, is a mathematician who's won Nobel Prizes, and I mean, he's a phenomenal. He's actually been doing, showing how this kind of works. Sure. And so, whatever. So that's so another so whole... So if we are, if we have a lot of the toxic thoughts stored in our our minds our memories and our cells yes from experiences events childhood previous relationships that maybe didn't end well and we have these memories that are these toxic thoughts yeah how can we heal those thoughts to attract healthy love moving forward exactly perfect so great question so essentially what will happen is if these are unresolved issues from a toxic relationship, so let's say that you had a really bad marriage or you've had a really bad whatever, and there's all the experience is stored in this. So the, that's the source as it's happening in that interpretation. And there's a great strong chance that your interpretation of things like I don't deserve love or I'll never have love or I can't trust that person or, you know, there's is always it too good to be true is or is it, yeah. Looking for the shoe to drop, you know, and uh, sort of, and then holding back and hesitating to commit and you know, all those kinds of things. So that's, that's what's in here because of that. And there's this distorted processing. 
this not only is it affecting your actual relationship, but you are actually increasing the vulnerability of your brain and body to disease by 35 to 98%. Wow, really? Over time, yeah. It's cumulative over time. And I know you've inter interviewed Lisa Apple, so I and her and I are communicating and going to be doing some work together, hopefully in the future. And we, I've done work on telomeres as well, based on her research, and I've shown that um, in, in, with mind management, you can actually grow telomeres and make them healthy wow. within nine-week cycles. And an unhealthy telomere is what you're going to see in this kind of tree. A healthy telomere is what you can see in here. So if you've got a toxic issue you haven't dealt with, not only is it affecting the relationship, but it's shortening your telomeres. It's changing your inflammation. It's affecting your hypothalamic pituitary axis. It's affecting everything so that over time, the weakened telomeres make weakened cells, which make weakened systems, which make weakened bodies, vulnerability. So it's not something that what I'm, the point I'm making, Lewis, is that we can't actually sit with those issues. We've got to deal with them because we are shortening our telomeres. We are increasing our vulnerability to disease and illness over time. So, wow. You know, how can we, I mean, if we don't, if we don't manage these toxic thoughts, and memories from previous relationships that have hurt us or caused us harm or frustration. And and sometimes when we end a relationship, it can be devastating. It can take years to recover exactly. sometimes. If we don't learn to heal these toxic thoughts. You carry that into the relationship. Is it possible to create a healthy relationship in the next one? Yes, it is. So the thing If we don't heal these thoughts, it's No, possible. no, not if we don't heal them. It's that we're going to stick. Sorry, I, I didn't listen properly. Yeah, yeah. So is it, is it, if we don't heal these toxic thoughts from previous relationship, is it possible to have a healthy relationship in the future if we don't heal them? No. That's a straight... It's, it, really? It's going to affect us. So the person isn't going to change in front of us, the next person, and be better no, than the previous... we've got to change ourselves. We've got to change ourselves because what will happen is if we don't heal that, we're going to always look for that. We're going to look for... We're going to externalize this. And we're going to be looking for the lack that this has created in that person. And because it's not their issue, it's yours, they're never going to satisfy that. So you're going to go from relationship to relationship looking for something that's missing in you. Wow. So you have to change your relationship with yourself before you can change your relationship with someone else. So you're not going to fix everything before a relationship because there's certain triggers in a relationship. That you have married. to process exactly. and go through. Yeah. It'll be triggered. Mac and I have been married 35 years and we're still working through things. And then we used to realize, hey, that's actually coming from just the other day we talked, you know, that issue has actually come from like way back when that's something that you know in in his childhood that that kind of clash with what you know, you know what i'm saying sure. but we so we didn't feel everything before we got married but we healed a lot before we got married and and that you know so you, you the biggest issues that we will obviously the most obvious ones you'll work on first but a lot of people don't even want to work on those and a lot of people's coping mechanism is one of you know what, it's not me, that's the problem. Right, it's the other person. Or they say, I need that from that person and I'm looking for that from that person. So that's why I say, if you go into a relationship like that, it's not going to work. It's going to be a very challenging, it may last, but it's never going to, you may even get married, you may even find that you stay married, for, but at some point things crash. And but it's it may very, not be healthy, yeah. it may be then, toxic. Yeah. Exactly, and then if you have kids along the way, you know, they get more stressful. And more stressful. Yeah. And, so why, you mentioned this in the beginning, that... Why do we why do we attract certain people? You were saying like we attract what were we saying like we attract someone that might have something broken inside of them so we can bring harmony or balance. What were you saying? So basically, as humans, humanity or the way we we are because of a wired for love nature in the mind, brain, and body. When something is off, we're drawn to that to restore balance. Mm. 
So um, that's why very often you will see, uh, you may recognize your brokenness, which is one of the comments you made in someone else, and that could draw you to them. Or it could be that you just see something that's that you didn't really experience, but it could have triggered something or didn't trigger something. But just the mere fact that you're human, there's a desire to help. That's what people go in. That's what people look at what you've done with your life. You help right. people. Right. Your whole biggest, one of your biggest features about you as a person is you have a desire to constantly help others. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's very authentic and very real. People see that very clearly in you. But when it happens, here, here's the interesting thing. You, you hear this in, uh, sometimes you hear women who will f- try to find a guy who maybe has a deficiency or is broken or something's off, right? And they see the potential. And they're like, okay, I want to go help this person overcome this challenge or this pain or this struggle and fix them. Um, and they struggle for them, that guy to change or transform or heal or grow. Or when they do transform, then there's nothing else to fix or they try to reinvent new problems to fix in them. So what happens when a woman who is not healed finds a healthy man, a a man who's working on himself, who wants to grow, who's doing it independently, but doesn't need like all this fixing? Why is she unable to be okay and happy in a healthy relationship. Because there's brokenness in her and what she's trying to fix is herself, mm. externalizing it. And you'll see that male to female, you'll see it in male to male relationship, female to female relationship, whatever. Really? In any kind of relationship, it's not just a male to female thing, female to male thing, it's also in any kind of gender relationship. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's the unique person. So first we must look at the person, see ourselves as a unique human being, and then we look at what our gender is. And what and, and that's really important because otherwise we're going to have this um unconsciously have this sort of sexist thing that mm-hmm. you know that yes, it's yes, done yes. in one side or another kind of thing and it's very i mean it's i'm not contradicting what you're saying it's totally i totally yes. agree it could be a female to whatever which which it's, 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 yeah. it's all so essentially this brokenness is um the is, is the first comment that you question that you made we can be attracted to and it's not the law of attraction we are not talking about that absolutely not okay that's not what i'm talking about that's a whole different story and a whole different yeah. very unscientific story too but there's um, there's elements of truth in everything what we're dealing what we're talking about here is the essence of what i have missing in my relationship i need to either wreck it, i see in someone else and want to fix or i want to because I'm trying to fix what my I'm missing thing. in my relationship to myself. Self, yes. I need to find in someone else that I can fix. Yes. And these two key things over there is instead of me fixing myself, I'm trying to fix someone else. And you can't fix anyone else. The only thing, person you can fix is yourself. All we can do is support other people. That's when it gets even more challenging in relationships when you're constantly trying to change someone. You're constantly trying to fix them or change them. I just feel like that's where a lot of stress and chaos happens. It's conflict because you're not accepting them. Exactly. You're not choosing them based on acceptance. Exactly. I can give you an example. Yes. I can give you an example of, of, of a relationship of people that have been married for quite a few years. And the, the male, I'm not obviously mentioning names, I'm going to protect people's identity. But um, the, the male, the, the husband in the relationship was incredible, used to get incredibly um, irritated with his wife and switch off and found her just demanding and always like nagging. And, and this, they had just kind of got into this pattern of, you know, very unhealthy. And it got to the point where the kids are out of home and all that kind of thing. And this person is basically at a point where, you know, this is like, you know, do I carry on with this? Which is very often what happens. Right, once after the kids are gone. Yeah, then you realize that. And this person started 
doing the neurocycle. I mean, they were sort of working through this process and started initially very skeptical because, and basically the neurocycle is just mind management. It's, it's the scientific way that you get your mind, messy mind to listen to your wise mind to change your neuroplasticity. Mm. So it's mind-driven neuroplasticity. So it's the science of how do I find how I'm showing up and how can I change that? which is your question you asked right in the beginning. Can we change this or do we have to live with all of this? Yes, we can change it. So that person, that husband lived with that relationship for years, but you don't have to live for whatever, however, 40, 50 years of marriage. It was long that they were in. You don't have to live with it. You can train your kids to start looking at these things in yourself so that you can become healthy and pick up things quickly and change them. Long story short, after a period of like initially being very skeptical, suddenly a connection was made around about three weeks into the process of, oh, I'm actually locking off to my wife and she is just trying to get me to connect with her. That's what sounds like the nagging. And me seeing her as just wanting everything to be perfect all the time and finding that really irritating is actually triggering my poor relationship with my dad. Wow. And my dad was one who required complete and utter perfectionism. Oh my gosh. And used to constantly go, so as soon as it would sound similar. Someone's nagging me or criticizing me. I I shut off, I protect coping mechanism. And the realization has transformed and saved a marriage. I mean, I've left a lot of detail life, but that's the essence of the story. Sure. So there's an incident of years of this growing, there's the initial incident as a child growing up with a parent that loved this, the, the child, but had a way of dealing that made that child feel not good enough. How much has, how much does our love as adults in relationships reflect based on what we witnessed our parents love like as kids? Huge, hugeness. Really? It's, it's really huge. Having said that, if you didn't witness a good relationship, it doesn't mean you can't have one. But it does mean you're going to have to overcome a lot of obstacles. And that is definitely... It's harder. It's harder. It's definitely harder because it generally leads to a lot of mistrust. And you know, As very, an adult in relationships. Exactly. Yeah. And what very often happens is that when you've seen that you haven't had a good model, um, you don't get into deep enough relationships and then you can get hurt very easily. Or you kind of end up maybe sort of almost using people without even consciously using people. And you meet people that are also broken. So they use, so you use each other. So they, they, it creates a lot of distrust and sort of you know, fear and lack of commitment. And, you you know, you look for any you know, things will trigger you much more quickly and that kind of thing. So it's really important to, you know, you know what I always say when it comes to parenting, because I'm a parent of four kids, as you know, and awful work with us, which is quite a miracle too, which is amazing if you think of it. Um, but I try and, I always tell my kids this. I was someone's daughter and someone's and I have a mom and a dad and they were someone's daughter and son. And so and each person had baggage. So you cannot go into a marriage, a relationship and parenting without baggage. We know that. It's logical. So you've got all this come down and it's in these networks and it plays out and it's triggered. And it, whatever isn't resolved will be triggered badly. And whatever is resolved, well, you'll handle it. You'll see, oh, I could be like that, but I'm like this, or my mom did that, but I'm not going to do that. And so in other words, that's where you've worked through something. So what we need to do as as daughters and sons going into relationships is to say, okay, I honor what my parents went through. They maybe didn't have a great relationship. I don't know the ins and outs. It's not really a child's responsibility to know all the intimate details of why a marriage broke down. To certain, you know, there's a certain amount that they should know and a certain amount that they shouldn't know and recognize that, you know, sometimes things don't work out and to honor these stories, but at the same time, 
you have the right to honor the impact it had on your life. Right. So it's to kind of, so it's not. There could be good impact and bad impact at the same time. Yeah. You you can hold both in your hands. You can hold both in your hands at the same time. But very often what will either happen is you'll swing to suppressing the negative because you feel you've been disloyal to a parent or to the parents. Really? So yeah, very often happens. So you'll almost suppress it for years. And, and act like what it didn't happen or wasn't that bad or yes that it wasn't you, or you deny it you diminish you suppress and you don't deal and then you suddenly something will trigger you one day and this happened with the conversation that I had with someone in working in clinical practice where very successful person um, parents went through a very traumatic marriage and um, the parent the one parent said way too much to the the children Child, yeah yeah and it was there was you know, there's, there's got to be boundaries there's got to be an amount that you do say because otherwise the child will think it's their fault that's another thing we need to realize children will immediately if there's a broken marriage a child will think it's their fault that they're the cause so it is important to say hey listen this is not you this is between us if someone watching or listening has parents who have been divorced whether it was traumatic or not traumatic as a child yeah. with their relationship watching the relationship but they went through divorce what, how, you know, what, what are the percentages or how does that indicate how successful you will be in a marriage or in a relationship if you don't learn to create new healthy meaning around their their model of love and relationship and, and their divorce and if you don't heal and process that? Like, what are we setting ourselves up for if we don't, if we're not aware of it and make sure we really work on these things if our parents have been divorced? You, you see yourself up for failure. And the, the, the reason I say that, and it sounds really harsh, but the other flip side of the coin is that once you do deal with it, you send yourself up for success. Mm. And that power is in your hands. You know, and that's really why it's so important that we don't suppress stuff. Because suppressing stuff, not only is it keeping the toxicity and increasing your vulnerability to disease, so physically you're suffering, and you will suffer more and more over time. Because it's, counter, it's your natural right for love and is being challenged. So your survival is being challenged. So your body is trying to fight this thing. Um, but at the same time, you are going to kind of boomerang from one bad relationship into the next because you haven't dealt with the core issue. Mm. But once you start dealing with it, the beauty of you can have, look at this example, the first example I gave, you can have a 50-year marriage and 50 years of, of a toxic pattern that really was problematic and you can heal that and have the last however many years you've got left in a very healthy relationship. So you, it, the, 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 the hope Lewis is in the fact that we can change, but there is work involved. There is no pull that's going to fix it. There is the work involved. What happens to the brain then when we see our parents that have harmony at home, they, they hold hands, they kiss, they dance, they love each other, they show affection versus what happens in the brain when we see distance, passive aggressive energy between our parents, yelling, screaming, slamming of doors no affection between each other as a model. What happens to the brain with those two instances? Such a good question. So basically observing your parents as a child, that's your, you know, you're modeling that relationship. So your relationships are, that's your model. So you're wiring that in. So you're wiring in the fights, the slam doors, the silent treatment, the the moaning, the upset, the crying, the tears, the confusion, the closed doors and all the noises and sounds. And, the, and the, maybe it even gets to the point where there's abuse. So that becomes... Your, you build that in into your brain, and your whole thing is: I, you, we can't trust people. There's, I really? can't trust someone else. I can't, I can't build a relationship. This is not safe. Is that is that I can't trust people in intimacy and in romantic relationships, or I can't trust 
it, friends, it colleagues. It could bleed over into, really? it, depending on how bad, depending on how you see it, depending on your perception, depending on the age, depending on the context, depending on how you involve, all those factors will influence how you, it's going to play out into your future. And um, that's, yeah, so it could, I mean, for some people it will just mean that they, it's everything, they just live a life of completely just, and that, sorry, quickly, just, I know you've got yeah. a question. No, go a lot of narcissistic type behavior, if you track back, it's complete distrust of all people. Wow. And I'm not condoning it because it's very destructive behavior patterns that people really suffer from. But it's it's trying to control the uncontrollable that they have. So very often if you track back, you'll see that there's been a model that has been very bad at some point. Um, and they may, on the outside, their the upbringing may have looked perfect, like they may have had money and good schools mm -hmm. and put together and dress well and yes, yeah but the inside wasn't the the them as a person wasn't validated the ability to hey i came home i'm bullied, i was bullied today i'm sad they weren't allowed to process emotions so their coping mechanism mechanism was one of i'm going to control people mm. i don't trust anyone so i am going to drive this around the shots here around the show and that's can lead to narcissistic type behavior wow. so that's just a side note and is there is there a certain attachment styles that we will have in relationships based on the model we witness from our parents? For sure, for sure. So um, attachment styles re research has been done in a very limited, um, with a limited group of people, but its applicability is pretty good. And um, so what we, if you look in different cultures, it's quite interesting to see that most cultures where you've got sort of more solid relationships it's not the child's brought up by the community so it's not just the mom and dad it's mm, the whole community really so in, in the united states and westernized countries it's very much you know isolated between isolated. parents and yeah, that's it. not enough of the support of grant and sometimes it's just if it's a way that we've gone you know in this country and in a lot of ways which is unfortunate because you do get a healthier model when you've got more balance so if you know if parents need alone time they can get it more because you've got the granny and the family and you've got the community so a lot of pressure on parents that leads to arguments that could have been probably resolved if they had a bit more time alone, could, you know, and that child maybe wouldn't have missed as much. So we have got an involved, we have got society now that has, needs, if we need to look at our societal, our societal structures, our work structures and that kind of thing, that put that kind of pressure on families. It's definitely putting pressure that are, you know, pressure cooker, that people are living in a little bit of a pressure cooker, which I think is leading to what, you know, problems in relationships that probably wouldn't have been there if they had more of a community. Right. So in terms of um, how, um, okay, there's so many questions of going through my head now. <laughs> so to bring us back to your yeah. question. The attachment styles was the yeah, was current one. Styles. So in the community, we're going to have a slightly more balanced attachment style versus if it's just. If we're, if we're raised by a community or aunts and uncles and friends. It's, yeah. it's more realistic. It's more like, oh, okay, they're arguing again, give them some time. Let me go sit with granny. Because we're not needing the love and affection from one person. Is that right? Or is... We, get, we get it from a community. But if you're in this very isolated, insular type environment, where does the parent explode safely? There's, no, sa there's exactly. no safe environment there's for no, a child. Exactly. There's no safe environment. There's no safe environment for the parent. So, and you are going to explode. It's very normal to have those arguments. So that's the ideal. It's not what's happening. So what do we do now? How do we deal with that? You have to be honest with your kids. You have to, and what Mac and I tried this, and we got it right, and we got it wrong, but we got it right, I think, a lot of the time, was we do have very different opinions about a lot of things, and both of us are Italian and background and explosive, so we did have <laughs> arguments, and we much right. as, you know, it's, 
it's easy when kids are around and the pressures of raising kids and working. Yeah, four and kids, that's a lot. It's a lot. And both of us working and whatever, it's it's a lot. I mean, we've countries with young kids. And so, but what we did from, what we did right, we did a lot wrong, but what we did right was we, if we had an argument, we would never just leave it. We would go to the kids, we would apologize. We would tell that we gave them permission to tell us when we were getting, upsetting them. So they would say, hey, listen, can you just, you know, you're going to make up. Can you just resolve this? Or mom, really, this or dad, that we gave them permission to actually, you know, like from an outside point of view, say, hey, you are impacting us. This is really Ooh, upsetting interesting. us. And this is, you know, and reminding us that, hey, you do, like, okay, so the, let me go back a step. If you have an argument, you need to tell your kids, okay, we had an argument about X, obviously language, age appropriate, and also within boundaries. They don't mm-hmm. need all the details. Yes. We had an argument. We disagreed on this. I didn't like dad's reaction. You, uh, dad didn't like my reaction. I did this, it bugged him. He did this, it bugged me. Um, this is how we resolved it, and this is what we're going to do. That's a neurocycle. We went through all five steps of the neurocycle. Once we cool down and calm down and we use the neurocycle individually on ourselves and then on each other, then we would... And I didn't call it the neurocycle then because that's a new name, but we, that process we applied, and it was a God-saving thing. It was a life-saving thing in our marriage because it helped us to stand back, calm down, evaluate, what am I really fighting about? What is, you know, take momentum, Mori concept. What happens if both of us are dead tomorrow, one of us is dead? What would we do right now? And so we would resolve it. And, you know, we would let our kids know we're still trying to resolve it, so there may still be a bit of argument or whatever, but this is where we're going this is our resolution. We still love each other. Kids need that. Even an adult child needs that. Mm. If there's an argument, if Mac and I have an argument now, we still do it. We'll still say, hey, you know, we love each other. Dad, you're telling me about this. Sorry about that. Sorry. We tell them. We, we, so that's what we can do in our insulin environments that we live in in this day and age. We can go through that process of showing, modeling to a child, listen, it's normal to have arguments. We have bad days. We are a mess. No one's perfect. We're not perfect. We do not expect you to be perfect. But let's talk about okay, it's a horrible argument I'm so sorry we should not have yelled it was scary for you tell us how you feel you know get it out don't and go through the sequence don't just blurb it all out be ordered the big thing nurse about healing in a relationship to have healthy future relationships is not just get the kids to talk about emotions or one mix it all up very organized let's talk about this is how I felt this is one of my emotion was this is what I said this is what I did four categories of signals very organized I'm going to talk about how how we felt our emotions our behaviors our bodily sensations and our perspectives so we were both mad and irritated we yelled and spoke too loudly and used ugly body language you know leaning in or whatever our perspective was that we were very irritated with each other and our bodies our bodies were very tense, our shoulders were raised, we spoke with loud voices. That's how analytical you get. And then you say, why well, we dis- or why was we disagreed about this concept? Dad said something that I didn't like. He didn't listen to my answer. I don't, whatever, whatever it was. So we then, you know, put the why down. Then we, what you should do is the third step is to then get that out on paper um, and write that out all visualize it or something so it's a, it's, a state, it's a state where you so once you've gathered awareness and reflected gather awareness of all those signals reflect on them which is the why of those signals very ordered your brain the psychoneurobiology responds to order sequence you throw it all at once it's chaos and that's what a lot of people do and that's what a lot of us do in our relationships and arguments but if you break things down and get in a very you can get calm you can get your neurophysiology under in under wraps and you can work through third thing is what Mac and I will do is, if we have an argument, is we'll we'll write it down. We'll text each other. We'll get in. We'll get all those thoughts out. We'll 
do it on a piece of paper, depending on what we're solving, how big, how small, whatever. But there's a writing phase where we're pouring our things out. Then there's a recheck phase. Okay, you said that, I said that, that was a trigger, this is what we did. How can we, this is the problem, how can we solve it in the future? What's our action? Okay, this is what we're going to practice. And then we tell that to the kids and then we do it. Say, look, we're trying this. Okay, guys, this is what we need to do. If you see us not doing it, just remind us. So you give them empowerment to, okay, they'll they'll resolve it. They'll they'll get through this one. It's horrible. We don't like it. But we can end (laughs) it quicker if we remind them of the act of reach, which is step five. Wow. And that sounds like a very idealized thing and it's a skill that you're going to learn. Like you're an athlete. You have to practice it. You have to to try it. Yeah. And it'll take you 63 days to set it up in your in your home system because it takes that long to, to form a habit, not 21, yeah. not four days, not one year cycle. You're going to have to consistently practice for at least 63 to 66 days. And I've done a lot of research. I'm doing another big study at the moment, looking at the time and the pattern of habit, complex habit formation, not just the little things like drink your green juice or wash your hands or make sure you get to the gym, but the complex like relationships. How long does it take to rewire a pattern so that you can have a change how it impacts your relationship. If someone's in a, a broken relationship right now, maybe they've been arguing for years or fighting, they don't, you know, maybe they have good weeks and then there's a bad week and it's the cycle of good and bad up and down and it just feels like it's draining or exhausting. What can they do to start healing the relationship, to start healing individually and the relationship to create harmony in the future? Beautiful. What are those steps? Okay, so first thing is if it's an abusive relationship, then obviously just the, the, it's safe. That's priority, as we all know. But let's say that it's not an abusive relationship. Just, you just got in some bad habits. Both of you are doing bad bad habits. Both there's of you are trying love, to fix the other person. Both and, of you are... But you're still together because there's love. Yes. There's the, and there's a desire to be together. So, if it's that, so, so that's the scenario. Okay. So the first thing to do is to get into some good practices that will help calm your neurophysiology down. So I call that brain preparation. You're kind of your nervous system or calming the entire neurophysiology so that when you when your mind you've got a calm wise mind that's always active and always on your side then we have our messy mind that's in the relationship it's in the moment it's the in the moment messy mind it's a reactive reactive learning it's it's very normal it's 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 that experimental and it sometimes goes really messy and other times kind of gets it right and whatever so you it needs a lot of guidance and that's all wired full of nature is our wise mind so the first thing is that when we're in that messy mind state, that's sending all this messy energy through the brain and it's triggering all kinds of, I mean, Toxic just, thoughts just think and, yeah. of an argument. When you, you start some stupid thing gets you going and then you end up arguing, what am I even exactly. talking about? What's the point in the first place? Exactly. Yeah. Well, why did I even bring that stupid thing up? We resolved that years ago. You know, why am I bringing that up now? You know, that's, that's what will happen if you don't calm down on neurophysiology. So it's get your neurophysiology calm first. And you can do that with meditation, breathing, with exercise, gym workout with it, creating space that, okay, we're too, both too hot now. Let's get just some fresh like, air. Yeah. get some fresh air. Let's resolve this at a later, let's create mental, physical space. I mean, just there's so many ways of doing that. There's so many great sort of meditative breathing. Yes. Find something that works for you. It may not be the same thing. Um, Mac and I like to just create space and I like to do um, a seven, a three, ten breathe, a three, seven breathing thing that gets my neurophysiology under control. So you breathe in for three and out for seven. So it's, and if you do that seven times, you'll feel high. But it's great because you push so much oxygen to the front of your brain. And it's a very good way of calming down your neurophysiology 
You can do that in, in intensity. I call it a 10-second pause. You can do it for 60 to 90 seconds. So it's 10 seconds that you do six to nine times. Mm. Great little formula for calming down neurophysiology. Wow, that's great. We, yeah. that's, that's a fail-safe we always use. Really good fail-safe. Like we are a family-run business. All of us are involved. It's very easy to argue with family. So when we all get hit up, which we do, because we're all very Italian, we do a 10-second pause and we will go out the room, grab a cup of coffee and then come back and reconvene. Those simple things that I know we know, but are we doing them? Mm. Or are you trying to push through? I've got to solve this now. I used to be like that at the bed. We've got to fix this now. And so I had to learn to, hey, no, you don't have to fix it now. Mm. Take a pause and yeah. Okay, so that's the first thing. You can't, is it possible to fix something when you're in chaotic thoughts? You can, but it's more difficult. And you you have to, you know, it's just going to be confusing and, you know, messy harder. and harder and yeah. not very sustainable. And it's just, it's not a very peaceful way of doing it. So it's exhausting, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't do it that way. Then the next thing that's very practical is you can focus on good stuff. So it may just be good stuff about yourself. So you can, part of what I did work, part of mental health is not just detoxing stuff. It's also building healthy stuff. So I love talking to you. We have great yes. conversations. Every time I talk to you, I have, and I think of you, I always have great memories of our conversations. So if I want to get myself into a good state, I can think of, I can recall a good moment, like maybe a conversation with you. I love my research. We just published a paper, and I, I mean, I look at those results, and I get, I get like high, literally. So <laughs> get yourself. So this is two silly examples, but they're very powerful. So if you've now calmed down in your physiology, and you now go and focus on something that you know makes you feel great, that means you're pulling this up. When you pull this up, amazing things happen in your brain. You change all the delta, theta, alpha, beta, gamma frequencies. You calm down. Think of the waves of the sea. You want, you know, they build. They're deep and big, and then they build on the beach, crash, make little waves, go back. We want that kind of mm. energy going through our brain, which activates good neurochemical flow, the endocrine, all that stuff, immune system. So by the brain prep that I explained, the breathing, whatever, and then these, you have put yourself into a really good brain state, mind, brain, body state, not just brain state, but you've got a very good flow happening. Now, you're still as irritated as still would like to go and do something physical like you know, whatever, I'm just joking. But I mean, you might be throw a plate at the wall or you still, oh, I'm so mad about what, it's okay. It's okay to be messy. So third thing, tell yourself it's okay to be a mess. It's okay, I can be a mess. It's okay for us, to, it's normal. But how am I going to manage the mess? Yeah. So give yourself permission to be the mess, feel the mess, analyze the mess. I'm frustrated. What's my emotion? Um, what's my body feeling? What's my perspective in this moment? What am I doing? So you go through... It's okay to be a mess and do a little mini neurocycle. Go through, why am I feeling like this? Write a few things down. Do a recheck. Okay, this has happened. What can I do? Action. Okay, I'm ready to talk. See what I've just done? Yeah. So step one is brain prep. Step two is think of something good. This has activated our natural resilience. Yeah. We have, we are not fragile. We are resilient. We are much more resilient than we realize. But if we take on the current zeitgeist that we break and it almost wrecked us for life, we're going to become fragile, which we're not. We're going to mask our natural resilience. We are pretty amazing as humans. Look at the stories of people surviving and right. getting through stuff. You know, and then we need to draw on that. We need to unmask our resilience. So these steps, the brain prep, focusing on something about yourself. And then you could also add up to this, not just focusing on your own good stuff. You could think of something great about your partner. You could think, you know, whatever. Think of a great memory, which yeah. is a really good addition. I mean, that people hear before, but, you know, I'm sure you've heard that before, but it's doing this great stuff in your brain. Then do it in your cycle in yourself. You can do this in three minutes, in 10 minutes, in an hour, whatever. Wow. Then 
reconvene and yeah. say, okay, now we're going to do this as a neurocycle. I have a whole relationship podcast where I went to in detail of how to actually, what to say, guidelines, what to say at each step. And I mean, we can talk about some of right, those. Right, right. I'm curious. I love all this. And the thing that came up for me is what happens if we want love, we want to be in a relationship, we want connection, we want intimacy, but we don't believe we're deserving of love. What will happen then? Such a great, great question. And it just reminds me, as you're talking, you're just you know, prompting all these clinical experiences I've had. Um, very successful, incredible person. And just could, one of those people that could get anything in their life, okay? Mm -hmm. And just wonderful in every single way. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And um, just could not keep a relationship going. Always start off well and everything. And at the end of the day, the core issue once this person had worked through was that they didn't deserve love. And it came, unfortunately, a lot of it comes from childhood. Really? And these, it's not everything because you can have a great childhood and really trust in love and then go into a really bad first marriage or first relationship. How does and that a person can break you. And really? I, can, I can give you an example of So it what. could be you could have a great, great childhood, yeah, great parents, great, childhood. great model of love. Total. But you get into a relationship, All you fully these... trust and accept and love someone. Because that's what you've seen. You throw everything. And so you expect they're going to do the same for you. And then it doesn't go your way. Exactly. And then you don't, and then that could potentially set you up to think I'm not deserving of love. Yes. Especially if it happens in your adolescent years. 12 to 18 is the most difficult part of the entire human life cycle. So, and that's where we are interested in forming our relationships. That's where romantic relationships wow. are what we desire. Up until then, it's more friendship-based. You know, it could be earlier, 10, 11, you can have little boyfriend, girlfriend things, but it's more just community connection, deep friendship, something starting. But those years, are, and, and you, you're at that age, your relationship with your friends and um, potential partners are more, are a lot more important, but are more important than your parenting. Wow. They, they supersede. In so terms of relationships, yeah, yeah. The formation of who I am. Wow. So at that stage, that's you know, so you can have this great foundation, and then you amazing parents, this. no trauma, yeah, fun all the time, peace, harmony, and sorted home. it out. That the real thing, just great parents, they had their own messed up lives, but took responsibility, right. said sorry, did all that stuff. Right. And then you get into a relationship where someone who's broken is attracted to you, and you're attracted to them, and you swept off your feet either way. And their brokenness is put onto you in your informative years, and you get told you're not good enough. Oh, what happens when we believe What's wrong that? wrong with you? And yeah, and and at that stage where you are so like you you're forming yourself, you're you're forming your choice, your identity in terms of others' relationships, me in the world, you know, in in terms of um, that that drive for love. So if you're told you're not, you're never going to get. Or you get rejected, or you get dumped, or you get cheated on as a teen. How does that, how does, how does someone overcome that feeling of, I'm not deserving of love? So that is, is a, is a hard one. So the, the, to start all of it's hard, yeah. but is to find um, the source. So what you, what you very often is as an adult, and it's very often in the twenties and thirties where you start doing this work and it can happen. I'm not saying always, I'm not generalizing, but very often because that's when you kind of get through school and whatever you do and you get into the workspace and you start actually really forming deeper relationships and then you start getting to the point where you're thinking, okay, well, why my friends are getting married? You know, everyone around me is in relationships and I'm the only one who's not in a relationship. Well, I can't seem to keep a relationship. What's wrong with me? That's when you start seeing those signals, patterns, 
that's when you need to sit down and do the work over 63 days and multiple cycles of 63 days. And then you could, you'll get to the point where you'll see, okay, what is the root? The root was either a childhood issue or an adolescent issue. Maybe it was you were the new kid in town and everyone laughed at you because you wore glasses and they just, you know, said you never, you know, what you were mocked. So you were too scared to actually show that guy that or that girl that you like them. And you were too scared because you were so quiet, whatever. And that was the source of the, there's so many reasons. You know, you, there was, a, I can tell a story of, of someone else who was one of four kids and it was the only girl, three boys, kind of almost like seemingly perfect home. I mean, there's would never any perfect, whatever. Right. But kind of got it more or less okay. Yes. A bit of religious stuff going on there, but still. But the boys were very sporty and very, mm-hmm. you know, and the father just, you know, like, always like was totally sports. It was like a big deal, but this was not a sporty little girl. But to get the father's recognition, this little girl had to be like one of the boys also, she thought. Mm. And so purposefully, like almost made herself mirror with the hat on backwards and baggy clothes and tomboy. didn't want to feminize. Yeah, yeah. yeah, tomboy. Didn't want to feminize and that kind of stuff and didn't want to, not that there's anything wrong with that, but her objective was not a healthy one. It was trying to fit in to be accepted. And her perception, once we got to the root, was, well, I was never accepted, but never accepted by my father. I thought that I had to be like a boy for my father to love me. And that was a huge thing. But it was so interesting. What really triggered that this kid was about five or six, already doing this, already reading the, the, the room and thinking this was the, the answer. And um, they were sitting, and some stranger came up. They were sitting at some restaurant, and this kid was dressed up like one of the boys. And someone said, oh, what a cute little boy. And that broke her. Because wow, it was confirmation that. that that was, that she's not good enough as a female. That even outside people are saying, oh, I accept you because you're a cute little Wow. So that led to years of self-abuse, self-hurt, sexual promiscuity. Isn't it crazy that one... Broken marriages. Yeah. Isn't it crazy that one thing we hear from that a friend, a sibling, yeah. a parent, an outsider, a, a schoolmate, a teacher... It could stick with us for decades, Ever. forever. Forever. Now imagine, Lewis, though, if, that, oh my God. If, if that person could have, and this is what triggered me to write the current book that I have on children with all these stories that I can tell. That person, I remember saying to me, if only I had known how to say to my parents, am I only loved if wow. I'm a boy? I feel sad because you don't seem to love me unless I'm like a boy. Mm. Or that that man made me sad because that man made me say, I've got to be a boy. Or, Daddy, do you love me even though I'm a girl? That child didn't know how to say that, didn't have the language, didn't have the tools. So what, what I'm trying to create, and we know that the mental health situation is 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 for a multitude of reasons. We're not the individualistic society, social media, AI. I mean, there's... Our generation's facing our problems. Every generation faces their issues. Every generation thinks what we were than the previous one. Right. No, we're not. We're just facing our unique problems. Yes. What we need in this generation with our kids so that they have decent relationships is, and it starts with having a decent relationship with themselves, is we have to have a way of them being able to process and express their feelings. So that five-year-old needs to be able to say, hey, I feel sad, or have a point of contact, something. So you can teach a child as young as two how to do this, Lewis. My youngest patients in my practice were two and three years of age, and you can teach them how to identify their signals, wow. detox, and, and to make it really easy. That's what I've done in, in the latest book, this one, how to help your child clean up their mental mess. 
Um, but we created this character. I actually created this character 25 years ago. I had a Disney artist create this character, and we had it all updated. So the book, if you flip through, you'll see these multiple images of mm-hmm. Brainy. This is a character we've created called Brainy. Uh-huh. When yeah. Brainy goes through all these different scenarios, and it's how you understand how you can teach a child as young as two that these you know, trees in the brain and how you could change your brain and and how to express and identify your signals. All these hard things that we battle with as adults, you can teach children very basically as a child. So we created a toy. So for example, let's say you have a two-year-old who is sitting at, um, let's say, let's take a five or six-year-old, and they're at school, daycare, or whatever, I mean, at kindergarten, and someone constantly comes up and knocks their toy tower over that they're building, and then next day, pulls their heel in the playground. Now there's, there's a series of teasing going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that child, most likely has, and I'm talking of another clinical case, has been abused at home by terribly, terrible physical abuse, but it's taking it out on the most vulnerable person in the playground. Then that child comes home and takes it out on the most vulnerable person in the family, which is the younger brother, who's maybe two or three years of age. And so now we see a perfect home environment with all the love and dealing with all the issues and stuff. But this child's now starting to bully the younger child and quite badly so that there's this terrible sibling rivalry. Where does built bullying come from? Like, why do most people start to bully it's, other kids? Um, it's um, it's a it's a coping mechanism from abuse. Really? So it's could one be of verbal those. or emotional yes, or sexual yes. or physical abuse. Yes. So it's coming from any level of of eight, nine, ten traumas. If you think of a scale of one to ten, eight, nine, ten would be your extreme traumas and persistent bullying that's breaking a person down would fall under that category. Long, you know, any kind of abuse would fall under that sort of category. So when bullying is one behavior in and amongst those four signals, I keep talking about that is um, energy that's built up, that's self-hatred. And self-hatred, therefore, is now blasting out, and they're repeating a pattern. So a bully has been bullied. And so it's a persistent pattern that goes through generations. They don't, know how, to, through... they don't know how to process their emotions in a healthy way, so this is how they get it out. Exactly. That's how wow. they're getting it out. So, so a bully has been abused in some way. Yes, and they've been bullied or have been bullied or are being bullied. And so they're just taking it out. So it's So you can't treat the bully by punishing the bully. You've got to actually help resolve why the bully's doing the bullying in the first place and so you'd start with a child in your home that's bullying the little brother and find out okay well let's now you know I, I and this is key you need to make a person feel validated because you need to say to that child whether or an adult this is not who you are these behaviors that i'm seeing that are impacting us the rest of the family yourself your friends or whatever this is not who you are i can i know that because i know you are at your, I know who you are. You, I, I love you, you. So in other words, you don't, you divorce the behavior from the from person. person. And that's really critical to create that safe space. So we're gonna, I'm going to help you work through this. This is no judgment, but let's talk about this. Let's talk about, how, let, let's, you can't hurt your brother or your sister or whatever. That's to, but at the same time, I recognize that this is not who you are. So you're doing this for a reason. So you, you've got to stop hurting and we're going to put boundaries in place for that but I'm also going to help you understand what's going on and, and you're going to help me understand. Wow. And then you take them through a process of a neurocycle. You have a contact point. So I've created things like toys, coloring books, that character, that if a child is not able to verbalize, which they're not until they, they're old enough to have the language, and even then they don't have the words often. But if you, if you have a key point, contact point or a point in your house where, you know, like you have a sitting room and you watch TV and that's your place of relaxation, you need a mind management place in your home. You've got a gym, you've got a whatever. You need a mind management center in your home, which could be a beautiful little couch that you were a little beanbag and next to a pretty plant. Something that you as a family create and choose. And you everyone, feel safe. adults say, yeah. it's this, 
whenever you go there, there's no judgment. There's only safety. And if someone's sitting there, that's they need they needing support to creating that environment and then having you know like a toy like this. A young child, it's often easier to say, "Oh, shame, Brainy was bullied today, and he's so sad." And you know, so they, I see that mm. Brainy's angry, and so you you transfer that transfer that over to the toy. Then the child can enact and carry it out and show you what's happening, and then it divorces it from them directly, and it enables them to try and and um, enact that without feeling threatened or scared wow. or externalizing. And you can also model for yourself, "Oh, mommy feels sad today," and this happened and so you model and you actually walk through the five steps without saying them but you right. do that and you model so that allows them to have the space oh mommy also sometimes gets mad or dad also sometimes right. gets mad or uncle also but you in that space now that idea of creating a mind management space um or a neurocycle space whatever you want or a brainy space whatever you want to call it and i've got these examples in the book came from a study done in zimbabwe years ago where i was actually born of called bench therapy and it was a granny on a bench in a tribe, in a country that has no money for current modern mental health and actually has better mental health than any westernized country because our current model doesn't make things better. It actually makes things worse, and the science is there to prove that. And all that this granny did, Lewis, was sit on a beach and create a safe space for people to listen. It was so successful that King, King's University and Harvard did a study on it. And I heard about this years ago when I was in early early in my research, and I started adapting and applying it in my practice and working with families and sort of setting this up and whatever. And so now you don't have to have a bench. You can have anything. It could be a bench in the flowers. It could, whatever. Create that space. As a family, find it. When you've got very young kids, you can get little boxes, fill them up with pictures that you cut out of all of emotions, behaviors, mm. perspectives, bodily sensations. So when a child comes from school and they can't verbalize or they're just so overwhelmed, they go to that corner, they pick up Brainy or other toys, and they can act it out. It's safe. No matter what they do, they no judgment. That's a cry for help pull out the picture they can use pictures to show so you create a sense of communication so that little girl whose dad whose friend said oh what a cute little boy could have gone to the that uh, neurocycle corner whatever you want to call it mind management mental health whatever you want to call it picked up a toy and maybe demonstrated and made brainy cry and then mommy says well why is brainy cry? you see what i'm saying sure yeah and you start there at two and three by the time you've got a 10 year old they're going to adolescence prepared for the terrors of adolescence. <laughs> right. And the, the well, I just think challenges. I, and yeah, I just think learning to process emotions at an early age can help you immensely as an adult. I never learned how to process emotions until I was 30. You know, I, the emotions I processed was anger, right? And that came out in sports or physical contact or reactions. See, all your energy transferred, it never lost transfer. Yeah. And once you... Once I lost the safe environment, sports, to do that, then it was just like, oh, what do I do with this? You know, and so I had to learn over the last decade how to process and and really create a safe space for me to process with me and then with others. Or a relationship and then, with yourself. Exactly. If someone feels broken in an intimate relationship, are they usually more reactive to the partner if they're not feeling like the partner is helping fix them? Definitely could be. They can either be more reactive in that they are verbally more reactive and, you know, maybe make demands like that are seem crazy, crazy demands, yeah. or they seem possessive or whatever, um, or they could withdraw. You know, they mm -hmm. could go silent and give you the silent treatment and withhold sort of sexual intimacy and, you know, all kinds of things for kind of, kind of to get some level of control. Right. There. You know, there's those aspects. So, yes, so it's, and 
as a partner, do you feel your partner is has some kind of weird behaviors towards you? Well, that's time to talk and it's time to say, hey, listen, let's go to that safe space. And I notice this, I know this is not you. Is there something I'm doing or saying? Is there something that you have triggered or is there something in your life? Maybe it's not me. Maybe something's happening at work or with your mom or your dad or your best friend and you just don't feel that I'm here enough to listen to you. Here we are in our talking space or safe right. space or our mind management corner, our neurocycle right. corner, whatever you want to call it. Let's, you know, let's talk and I see you doing this. Have I understood you correctly? And, you know, so it's, it's show, tell a person what you see lovingly, kindly in the safe space and say, am I correct? Have I read the situation correctly? Am I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong? And I, I see you doing this and I know it's not you. you say, so you always validate, always acknowledge, always listen, always compassion, kindness, in love. You talk about why for love. We have got to immerse in love. Yes. And what about, where do you believe that the, the root of insecurity or jealousy comes from in relationships? Is that a, is that a wound from the past that makes us insecure or jealous in our current relationship? Or where does that come from? Everything that we do that is impacting us negatively is coming from something we've experienced. Everything. And so we need to live lifestyles of managing our, our reactions. So we are very capable of standing back and observing ourselves 24-7. Little you're sleeping when you sleep at night. But then if you do this during the day, you'll, or nighttime, when you sleep, our mind and brain are doing housekeeping. And so when we manage our mind well during the day, we get really good advice when we sleep. We get really good cleaning, a good cleaner. So it's essential that we live lifestyles of mind management so that we can observe ourselves. So if, if I, for example, I've trained myself to do this, if I start noticing a certain pattern in my behaviors and I notice that there's maybe some jealousy emerging or some envy, I'm very quick to observe it now and I'm not saying I'm a saint at all but far from it. I'm just saying I've trained myself and I'm proud that I've trained myself and I'm saying it because you can do this. Yeah. And it's not just me. There's millions of people now that we reach and I hear this all the time and I saw this in my practice. So I'll observe myself. I watch Maybe I snap at Matt because he does something that irritates me and I've got so used to being around because we were together 24-7 that I may just, <laughs> and I'll you know, find myself getting irritated or being sarcastic. And I'll catch myself and say, I'm sorry, I was sarcastic there. You said something in a way, I didn't really listen to you, you didn't, you know. So you can train yourself to live lifestyle. In other words, if I did have felt that urge of jealousy, I will, let's say, for an interaction with someone else, let's say maybe it's social media and I see something going on, or something on the friend has, whatever. Jealousy comes wanting what someone else has got. We as humans, and I, I've got to get this right, we as humans, when I support you and I love you and I lift you up and I am building you and I'm excited, authentically and genuinely excited for every element of your success, without one moment of wishing I had that, I am going to function at my highest intellectual level. I am going to be the healthiest I am. So loving and supporting and lifting you is actually increasing my own intelligence and mind and brain health. However, we are in a zeitgeist of, if what can I get out of you? And if you've got more than me, how did you get, I need that. They may not be saying that to you, but that's what's going on in their head. That is slowly creating toxic thoughts that are slowly creating a disruption of those microtubule things I spoke about and setting you up for disease and dementias. Wow. Big link between, and, and a sense of loneliness, which is pretty much a guarantee for leading towards dementias and things. So envy, jealousy, bitterness, anger, those things eat your, your, you from the inside out. So lifting someone up 
makes you healthier, being jealous of someone else. So if you are, have a twinge of jealousy, which is first thing, it's okay to be a mess. It's okay. Okay, I feel jealousy. So what? Okay, I feel it. Now what? Why? And then go through the neurocycle, find the source and fix it. I love this. Um, I feel like we can go on for a long time about this stuff. Is there anything else that you think people should know about how to end toxic thoughts to get into healthy relationships or relationships in general? Any other... I think what's so important is that we try and um, reconnect as communities again and create, you know, we, there's a big move and there has been for about 40 years saying that, yeah, it's great, we're talking about mental health, we're lifting the stigma, but if you look at how we've done it, we've, this, the research shows we've mm. created a more a worse stigma. Really? And we've actually created environments where people are talking about mental health in a certain way that leads towards seeing it as an illness, in other words, seeing you as a broken person. Now, if I go to a dinner party and I walk in and say, oh, I've, I've just had uh, this another label, I'm now bipolar and this and schizophrenia and blah, 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 everyone at the dinner table is going to kind of be weary and you're not going to, when you go into a job interview and say that, would it? but if you go to that dinner and you say, you know, I just had like, such a rough few weeks and I've just seen these patterns in my life and I, you know, went through this whole sort of exploration and I found out, hey, these patterns are coming from something and whatever, how much do you want to share? In other words, you and you tell your story, everyone will lean in and everyone will say, hey, wow, you know, they have, this happened to and you and everyone will start sharing stories in this community and support and advice and interaction. That's healthy mental health talk, whether it's among an adult, a child, and a baby, an adolescent, two-year-old, whatever. We need, to, that for me is huge, mm. that we need to create genuine safe spaces, yeah. not this, oh, I haven't met, it's okay to say it's an illness like diabetes and that makes the stigma go away. And if we can talk about diabetes, no one criticizes you if you've got diabetes. Why yeah. do they criticize you if you've got bipolar? Bipolar doesn't even exist. And now, please, I'm not dishonoring the fact that people have mood swings. But if I just say you have bipolar, all I've done is, is reduce something massive in your life that's absolutely huge, bigger than this room, into just a thing, a little label. I totally invalidated you. But if I say, oh, okay, Tell me about this bipolar that you say you've got a diagnosis. What What do you mean? And then you describe a set of behaviors. Then I would say, okay, so what you're describing is that you have certain behaviors going on in your life with these emotions, stuff feels in your body. So the, if that's the case, what's going on? Let's find out why. What's your story? What has happened? You know, why, where did, then I've actually tuned in and I've listened to you. That's what I'm talking about. Right, right. That's validating a person. That's recognizing that person who's can't get out of bed for three weeks or four weeks or two years or listening to them, what I spoke about earlier on, that's the validation we right. need. So I'm in a nutshell saying that all these mental health labels reduce something that's massive into something that's not massive and put it into a disease label. That's not good. We've got to come back to our humanity. We've got to see it's huge. If someone's in a panic attack or someone's depressed or someone's got these mood swings or someone's battling to focus or battling to function in and we need to listen to these stories. Mm. We need to sit down and connect and communicate and create safe spaces for extreme trauma, which has created extreme behavior changes that they can't really split back in society very well. And they need a couple of weeks or months or whatever to just talk safely in a safe talk space. Talk it out, process it. Yeah. Exactly, get it exactly. out. That for me would be critical. It will lead to very healthy partnerships between yeah. people. Caroline, I, lo I love, I love you. I love your message. I love everything you're doing to help people. Um, if you've enjoyed this, make sure to leave a comment of the biggest moment takeaway uh, on YouTube or over on audio as well. Leave us a comment there. 
If you want more about how to master your mind in relationships and intimacy, then leave a comment on YouTube that you want another part two of this episode. If you've got kids or you're about to have kids, make sure you get this book, How to Help Your Child Clean Up Their Mental Mess, A Guide to Building Resilience and Managing Mental Health. This will be a game changer uh, for the future of our humanity. And if you just feel like you wanna overcome stress, anxiety, or toxic thinking, then make sure to get this book as well, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Five Simple Scientifically Proven Steps to Do Those Things. So make sure you get a copy of both of these. We'll have it linked up. Follow Caroline everywhere on social media, your podcast is amazing, your YouTube, all these different places that you have. Where can we best support and serve you? Is it drleaf.com or where should we all connect with you? My social media platform is Dr. Caroline Leaf and my podcast, as you mentioned, is the same name as the book, Cleaning yeah, Up the Mental Mess. So thank I you. I love you. I love your content. You're amazing. You spoke at our, our Summit of Greatness last year and it was incredible. Um, and you're just doing so much good for the world. So we're so grateful for you, your research, the science you do, everything that you're finding online, and really just giving it in practical terms that we can understand. So I always love the analogies. I love the props. I love everything that just shows us how to simplify the challenges, the stresses, the overwhelm that we feel, whether it be in life or money or relationships. But um, again, if you guys enjoyed this, make sure to comment below if you want a part two on mastering your mind in relationships. Um, I've asked you this question before, but I'm going to ask it again. It's a three truths question and see if it's got a different answer for you this time. Okay. Imagine it's your last day on earth, many years away. And for whatever reason, you, you can't take, you, you can't leave behind any content or this book or any message you've ever put out there. It's got to go with you to the next place. And you only get to share three pieces of advice, three lessons that you would leave with the world. But none of this interview is gone. This book is gone. But you get to share three final things with the world. After all the success you have, what would you share with those three truths? I would share the same thing that I said a moment ago is work. Start maybe with the first one. Accept that you can be a mess. And it's okay to work on your relationship with yourself. Be the kindness, compassion to yourself. Then give the same to others. Listen to others. You know, work through that process of really listening and supporting. And... That, that's kind of those two kind of winding to each other into I think those those two kind of encapsulate kind of everything yeah so that would then be to love so it's work on yourself and work on others and that leads to love yeah that's beautiful I want to acknowledge you Caroline I always do you're you're so committed to service and I'm so grateful for you for how you show up uh you know you have a it's it's rare to find someone who is had a healthy long-term relationship, who's got four kids that are also working with them and you know have a healthy relationship with them and have a career in service to humanity the way you do. So I'm just grateful for you. And, and I know it's not, you're messy in all the areas, but uh, the way you show up consistently is beautiful and I'm really grateful for you. Thank so, you. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Liz. It's beautiful. Back at you too, you're amazing. And really, I have so much high regard for you. I appreciate I it. Love everything you do. And you touch all our lives. I appreciate so it. so many ways. I appreciate it. Um, again, final question. What's your definition of greatness? Oh, I love this question. You always ask me. Someone who actually has a good relationship with himself. 
I hope today's episode inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a rundown of today's show with all the important links. And if you want weekly exclusive bonus episodes with me as well as ad-free listening experience, make sure to subscribe to our Greatness Plus channel on Apple Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend over on social media or text a friend. Leave us a review over on Apple Podcast and let me know what you learned over on our social media channels at Lewis House. I really love hearing the feedback from you and it helps us continue to make the show better. And if you want more inspiration from our world-class guests and content to learn how to improve the quality of your life, then make sure to sign up for the Greatness Newsletter and get it delivered right to your inbox over at greatness.com slash newsletter. And if no one has told you today, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. Great.